Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey everyone, welcome back. My name is DJ Hillier and you are listening to another edition of the MyFit Podcast. This week, we're doing something a little bit different on the show. To my surprise, one of the most consistent pieces of feedback I've received over the last two to three years is that you guys actually want to hear more from me. And one of my core values has been and always will be in the podcast to always make sure that I'm never talking over my guests and I'm never talking more than my guests. And after two to three years of doing almost 160 shows, I've been really fortunate to learn a lot of material and I'm starting to kind of gather my thoughts on some of the things that I've learned and put them out on things like my Instagram. And I've also been really fortunate enough to be on other podcasts and share some of the things that I've learned. And I recently went on the fitness movement podcast with Ben Wise, and he was kind enough to send over the conversation so we could rebroadcast it here on the MyFit channel. If you enjoy this conversation, be sure to check out everything Ben is doing with Zor Fitness. He runs an impressive fitness coaching company and gives out tons of free, valuable resources. So without further ado, here's my conversation being interviewed by Ben Wise on episode 44 of the fitness movement podcast. Enjoy. DJ, welcome to the show. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. I listen to a lot of your stuff. I'm a fan of what you do, and it's uh, it's fun to be on this side of the mic. Usually, I'm the one asking questions, so it'll be fun to be on this side. Absolutely. So, yeah, for people who don't know, you host the MyFit podcast, and I also listen to your show quite a bit, which is why I wanted to do this. I respect you a lot in the space, and um, yeah, I listen to your show regularly, so I you know, encourage people who are listening to check it out. Um, my fit podcast and it's M I fit. So check it out for sure. Is there an episode that you're like, you know, I feel like this was a really good interview. The person's a genius and then it launched and just didn't do as well as you hoped. Is there like that episode that people should go to because it's really good and doesn't get the publicity that it should. Is there one of those? Man, that's funny that you ask because I think they're all good. <laughs> like it's like uh, I don't have kids, but I imagine when you do have kids, you don't you don't choose your favorite, but you kind of have your you favorite. Can't tell. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can't tell anybody. But honestly, I love them all. I've done 156 shows, and everyone kind of has a different vibe, and you know, different people like different ones. Whether it's uh, you like mindset, or you like to talk about programming, um, or athletics, or CrossFit, stoicism. There's a lot. Of different topics and they just hit differently. A lot of it too depends on honestly if the guest shares it with their community. I'm fortunate to talk to people that have really big followings. And if they share it on their Instagram or in their followings, then it uh it really catches fire. So some of it depends on that. Um, but gosh, it really just depends, depends what you're into. I know I'm giving you the scapegoat answer here, but I, I really don't have one that, that pops out. Let's do this. So this is the fitness movement. A lot of people are into CrossFit and training. All right, let's go like program design is there like at least you know one two or three that you could pull out 
top of your head? Yeah. Yeah. So you've had Kyle Ruth on the show. He's my coach. So obviously I got to give him kudos. Uh, we talked about the art of program design in a show. I really enjoyed that. Um, Sam Smith, who's also been on your show is a mentor of mine. Uh, I work with him pretty closely. So I really enjoyed conversations with him. We've done three episodes. One was specifically on weightlifting in the sport of CrossFit. And that was really cool just to see, cause I think people, they understand, you know, um, weightlifting is a huge part of CrossFit, but they don't understand how much of it or what does the program look like or how strong do I need to be to compete? He does a really good job at breaking that down. Uh, another program design one that was really cool so long ago, uh, but it was really fun. It was probably two or three years ago now, but it was with Cal Dietz, the strength and conditioning oh, yeah. coach at the University of Minnesota. Yep. Um, and that was really cool going through his methods, um, a little bit different right? from yeah, all through the triphasic. And it was a little bit different than CrossFit, but it's still trying to figure out how can CrossFitters use this methodology. Uh, that one hit big and that was a long time ago. So honestly, I should probably reach out and have him back on again. Uh, but that was, that was a cool one too. So those are three probably that I'd point to when it comes to, to program design. Yeah. I'd back those up. Those are great resources. <laughs> um, all people I knew of, and I think someone like Cal Deese, I should probably have on the show at some point. He's a great dude. He's awesome. Cool. Good. Um, yeah, people should definitely check them out. So you, one of the things that I, again, I appreciate you. It's not just that like you're just doing podcasting or you're just competing. You're wearing all these different hats. Like you're a CrossFit coach, you're directing your gym, like programming for your gym, you know, again, like all these different hats that you're wearing. So I think there's a lot of, you know, resources that people can glean, not just from like one aspect of their lives. Like a lot of people come to the show just for the one aspect of fitness which is important, but like everything else ties into that. And if you don't have every area optimized, you're not going to be the best athlete you can. And the reality is most people are not professional athletes. So, you know, I think you are someone who probably does an excellent job of being both a high level athlete, like you're a multi multi regionals competitor. You competed at, at the games on a, on a team. Um, so we're going to take this conversation a couple different ways. Uh, I guess firstly, would you rather compete as an individual or on a team? Hands down, I'd rather compete on a team. Uh, I grew up playing team sports, uh, played football in high school and at the collegiate level. And so team sports is, honestly, I don't think I played any individual sports. So for me, it's just an easy background. I really love working with others, suffering with others, um, working towards a common goal. That team aspect is something that I was just kind of born and raised on. Uh, so to me, it's just kind of a natural fit. So easily would rather go to the games on a team again <laughs> it's better to suffer with friends yeah it really is and honestly it pushes me further like um not that i can't train alone and i think that's a conversation for a different day if you have trouble training by yourself maybe you should be considering you know why are you doing what you're doing but for me i i always know that i'm the fittest when i can put in more sessions with more people uh, i think it's important to surround yourself with people that are better than you fitter than you uh this about the same and then maybe even a le little bit less fit too so you can kind of experience losing you can experience winning and then having kind of close fitness races if you will so yeah being really cautious of who is in your in your circle and just training with others to me is uh, a huge push to get me to be the fittest i can be do training partners now that you work with regularly yeah yeah or so we have a, i should say yeah so right now um basically we, ha we have a team that's going to be trying to get ready okay. and to gear up for the crossfit games uh, super excited we we competed together last uh what was it november or december in um in the mac and we got second okay. over there which is awesome and so now we're kind of gearing up and getting ready for the open here next week 
um, hoping to make it through all three stages and then into the CrossFit Games. And so we train together um, on Fridays and Saturdays. We do a lot of worm stuff. Two of our teammates were on Team Timberwolf last year and they went to the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, now they're coming to my gym, CrossFit Lakeville. And uh, yes, yeah, so we're hoping to kind of mash it together and make a make a memorable run. Awesome. Do you feel like your your skill sets as an athlete are better suited to team? One thousand percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of it, too, comes back to just my background of being a football player, kind of that stop, go, there's rest, there's going, um, you know, th- that used to be really valuable in the sport of CrossFit. And I still think it is. Yeah. Um, but you, you, even now, you know, when I competed before, when we went to the games as a six person team, there was a lot of rest and, and and moving going back and forth. Now it's a little bit less with four people. But I still think that my upbringing playing football uh, was really helpful into the style of fitness that I excel in which is team stuff. Yeah. You can like put out a lot of power and then you get to earn a little bit of rest while someone else does some work, at least in a lot of the way the events are structured. Cool. Yep. Super, super gratifying and easy, easier to handle. I think than some of the individual stuff where it's like 20 minute AMRAPs is like, not really not my jam, but if we're doing you and I go back and forth for 20 minutes, I think that's a little bit more tolerable. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And you know, I think a lot of people probably don't even recognize how, you know, maybe they do give respect to the, you know, how their past experiences really, you know, can shape them, but they don't necessarily think about that in like team versus individual. I want to actually back up a little bit and go through a little bit of your athletic career, at least you kind of getting into CrossFit. So, um, you played college football for two years. Yep. Right? I played college, yep, college football for two years. And then I stumbled into the CrossFit gym. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so, you know, I, there's a, a quote, um, that I heard you say it and it resonated a lot with me because I was a college wrestler and I didn't, you know, stop in like in my career, but basically like by the time I got done, it sort of like left a sour taste in my mouth. And I was kind of like ready to step away or at least like mentally or emotionally. I had started done that before like my time was up. Um, and this is what you said. You said, I got the feeling that I enjoyed the training more than the actual game. What I think is interesting is that like, there's, there's going to be times like even in, in like CrossFit now where you're like, this is super hard. And you like question, like, is this worth doing? You know, because there's a lot of sacrifices that's required to like compete at the CrossFit Games on a team, like it's crazy. So I guess my question is, how do you know that something is challenging? It's really difficult. And it's like, you know, this isn't really worth it to me anymore versus like, hey, this is really challenging and tough. And that's what makes it worth doing for me. Yeah, that's interesting. So for to glean on my experience, I knew I, I always loved the off season and I loved um, the grind that it took in high school. I started what was called the, we went to a school called Lakeville South. I called it the Lakeville South Squat Club. And what we would do is we'd meet before school at 6 a.m. and we'd do, and I'd come up with this program design. And obviously I was a 17 year old kid. I was just getting stuff on T Nation or stack.com. And so I really, <laughs> I really loved, and that's kind of where my career started, I think as a, as a coach and a personal trainer was, was in high school. And so for me, I loved working hard, outworking people. I truly believed that the harder I worked, um, you know, the the better athlete I would become on the field. And the the quote that I heard as a, at, a, at a young age was, "Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard." And I think I think I was talented, but I definitely wasn't the most talented kid on my team. 
growing up. And so I knew I had to work extra hard. I remember doing, you know, the parachute wind sprints and all those things in the summer. And I, and I, and I truly really loved and enjoyed that. And when it got to college football, um, it was, it was kind of the same idea where, you know, maybe I had the thought that I was going to have more playing time or it was going to feel or look different than it really was in reality. And so, you know, what happened was it just kind of came to a point where I was still training and loving the off season, but during the season, it was just such a grind and I was actually missing the working out piece during the season because you just don't get to lift as much. Yeah. Uh, and so that that's when I kind of knew that, you know what, maybe maybe this isn't really for me anymore. And the passion just wasn't there as much. It turned into, I have to go to practice versus I want to go to practice. And once that mindset shift started to happen, I started to have second thoughts about continuing my career um, and finishing out at the University of St. Thomas. And so for me, once that once that kind of shifted, uh, it was actually more of an easier decision than a hard decision. Uh, and then luckily, I was just able to kind of stumble into the next the next part of my life. Yeah. Again, I think... It's probably underappreciated because for a lot of people, they, they don't spend the time in the specific avenue. Like you spent years in athletics and years in football to get to the point where you're like, I'm falling out of love with this and I'd rather step away now than continue to go that way and it getting worse versus, again, something that you really love. And again, hopefully this is your case across it now, mm-hmm. right? It's like, you know, I'm really passionate about this. I want to continue to pursue it, even though a lot of the things I'm doing day to day aren't necessarily enjoyable in the moment. Mm-hmm. Is, is that totally. accurate? Absolutely, man. And I think sometimes I think that's the way life is, right? Like there's going to be a lot of things that aren't enjoyable, but you have to just kind of come back to like, what do you value most? And what are the things that, you know, you want to keep pursuing? Uh, because not everything is always going to be enjoyable, but if you find yourself, like I said, day to day, you know, dragging yourself through the motions and maybe not giving your best effort because it's not meaningful to you, then I think you start to need to have that mindset shift or that, that change in your values and change in ultimately what you want to do. So I think it really comes back to, you know, are there more good days or the more bad days? Are you forcing yourself through it? Is it something that you're walking through? You're not giving full effort to Because at that point, you're not only wasting your time, but you're wasting time of people around you. It's really good. So you get into CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, you, I would say you probably needed, and I think I've heard you say this, you needed like a competitive outlet after you got out of competing in football and CrossFit makes sense because you're getting to lift and do all the stuff that you enjoy doing already. And you also get to continue to compete. So I guess first let's start here. You get out of football, you enter CrossFit. I'm sure there's things that like already, especially in what, what year did you enter that space? Um, so it'd have been the fall of 2013 and then getting into like that 2014 season. Okay. But still the depth of field at that point in CrossFit wasn't near as much. So like, I'm sure like there's plenty of things that you were better than like 97%, 98% of the field already, if not more. Mm-hmm. Um, Take us through just really quickly, like what were some of your top strengths coming out across it? What were some of like your things that you would consider to be weaknesses or that didn't develop as quickly? Yeah, uh, it was, it's cool, man. Cause when I found out CrossFit, I, so I, I drove home from the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul after quitting football and I drove home to, and I, on the freeway down to my parents' house, the gym, the, my, my five fitness, uh, across the Lakeville gym was coming up. So it was almost like God's way of saying like, this is, you know, you're literally driving to your next Avenue. So that was cool. <laughs> and it was also cool. Cause it was like, man, finally, there's a sport for the gym people. Like there hasn't yes. been one yet for the gym freak. So I stumbled in there. I got to learn about it. Um, and then I jumped right in, in into a workout. And I remember the first workout I did was, um, 
build to a heavy three push jerk uh, for the strength. And at that time I was, you know, 21, 22 years old, uh, pretty like strong shoulders. And I, I didn't really know what I was getting into. I didn't know what a push jerk was, but I just kind of like got into it and I ended up putting up, I think it was like 245 or 255 for three. And I remember uh, the coach was like, all right, like, you need to, you need to come hang out with us. Like you need to come stay here. Yeah. And at that point it was kind of like, it was kind of like initiation into a new gang. And, and, and from that point on, like, um, I was, I was a part of the group there and then I got into coaching and all the, everything that went with it. But some of the things that carried over really well, I think obviously like squatting, things like that, that we did a lot uh, throughout in, in football, obviously, or, um, there's not a lot of bench pressing in CrossFit, unfortunately, <laughs> but I had the bench press on my side. If that came up, um, I'm trying to think what else, you know, cleans were good. Snatches took a little bit, a little bit of time. The movement that I struggled with so much and I still do uh, is double unders. It's just like, it took me so long to get them and get them under fatigue is just something that I never did growing up. And yeah. you look at that movement, like it's much more of an aerobic movement. So I was much more of an anaerobic athlete with football. I still am. So things that require like long, steady stuff are something that I still need to work on. But yeah, I remember being really frustrated in 2014. I was only a couple months into CrossFit, but 2014 was um, double under power snatch, the 30, 30 and 15. 30, 15 and dude, I just like, I got to the bar, the barbell and it's just like, we're, we're just throwing this around like a rag doll and I could have double under and it was so frustrating. Um, and I just really hope that that workout doesn't come back up again now that I say that. So let's knock on wood, <laughs> but <laughs> watch, watch in two weeks, this workout's going to come up. But, um, yes, yeah, so that was a big thing was the double unders was, a, was tough. Um, you know, a lot of people like to hear the story of like, I got a muscle up on my first try. I didn't know what I was doing, but I just kind of swung up there. And I think that that goes to show how important, like just having upper body strength is when it comes to being able to do the gymnastics movements. But, um, yeah, man, like it took, it took some time. Um, but I was fortunate enough to kind of get everything together. I got a coach early on and that was helpful. I was surrounded by, uh, really fit people that were competing at regionals and, and things like that. And then, um, I was able to get introduced with Timberwolf CrossFit and I'm sure we'll get to all that and then get to go to regionals and all that stuff too. But yeah, there's a lot of carryover. I think the strength stuff more than the gymnastics and the long distance running. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So I guess, you know, you're also a coach, right? So you're an athlete, you're a coach. And I think there's, you know, I, if I think about the great coaches, in a particular discipline or in like a particular set of movements or something, right? Like we're like gymnastics and CrossFit or weightlifting and CrossFit, you know, there's like coaches who got into that and they like did it their entire way growing up. Like Dave Durante, for example, he was like a gymnast growing up the entire time. Now he coaches gymnastics and he's like one of the best in the world. And it's like, that's, he's, he's done that single discipline the entire time. He was like the best in the world. And now he's also like one of the best coaches in the world. I think of someone else who might've been, like kind of the the opposite, but end up at the same place. Like I had Mia Gianelli on the show from Training Think Tank. She did not have any of those gymnastics movements come naturally to her at all. Um, like couldn't do pull-ups, couldn't do any of that stuff. And now, in my opinion, for CrossFit, she's one of the best gymnastics coaches in the world. I think there's probably a lot to be said for like, okay, you weren't good at these things and you worked so hard and learned all these details about them that now you can coach them really effectively. Or I guess if you could be a coach where you pick apart your strengths so well that you know those really well. Do you see like, are there certain movements as weaknesses or certain movements as strengths that you believe that you coach better as a coach? Oh man, that's a really good question. Yeah, I think so. One of my biggest weaknesses is gymnastics. 
And so I have a hard time sometimes coaching that because sometimes I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to learn myself how to become more efficient with the ring muscle up. We have uh, two people on our team who have combined 50 years of gymnastics experience and they do seminars. So it's really, it's really been nice to learn from them, uh, being teammates with them and trying to transfer that into my athletes as well. But yeah, I think naturally because I'm not as good or, uh, you know, an elite gymnast, then it's hard for me to translate some of that, but then vice versa, I feel really comfortable in the snatch, clean and jerk squatting, some of that type of stuff. And so I'm able to teach that a little bit more. Um, but it probably is a good uh, exposing uh, piece of my game that needs probably more work as a coach. But I think being able to be well-rounded, not only as an athlete, but as a coach is important. Um, just kind of thinking about, yeah, just kind of thinking out loud about what that means. And I, I, I talked to Mia as well. And she she's an incredible gymnast coach, but she's, she's spent so much time in it that she's just able to kind of transfer that to the next person. And I think that's super admirable if you can do that, especially when you're maybe not known for being good at that stuff. Yeah. I mean, certainly I think there's a lot to be said too. Just like it's easier to coach athletes who are mm-hmm. sort of like you minus like three to five years. Yeah. Like if I think about Kyle Ruth as an athlete, he's pretty similar in a lot of his qualities to you. Mm-hmm. Like he's more of a power athlete. Mm-hmm. He would do really well on a team. Like he went to the, the games last year on a team. So it's like all that stuff kind of makes sense that he would be yep. someone who would make a really good coach for you because he can mm-hmm. see a lot of the qualities and himself that he could help develop and like, Hey, this is what I should have been doing then, for example. Totally. So like, I think like, like you said, like there's a lot to be said too, for like, Hey, these are the things that like I see in you that I had seen in myself and I can relate to that really well as a coach. And as a result, I can write that for you better. Totally. And I think that's why people like seek out certain coaches, right? They want to see like, you know, what does your resume look like? Like, what are some things that you're good at? If, if somebody is, you know, you know, like Mia, if somebody is wanting to be better at gymnastics, they're going to hire a gymnastics coach, right? They're going to be hired somebody that is a specialist in some of that. You know, one thing very specifically is I, uh, one thing that I am not as strong as my upper body pulling. One thing that Kyle Ruth is really, really freaking good at is anything upper body pulling. And so it's just nice to see how he kind of programs that, what type of volume that goes into that. Um, and that's just kind of been a nice additive to our program design and working with each other. But yeah, I think naturally people want to seek out uh, coaches that are, you know, a little bit more qualified or have more strengths in the specific areas that they think that they need. And that sometimes the the athlete might be wrong. Like they don't actually need to work on their strength. They might just think that they do. And then they find a coach that can help them along those things. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, being well-rounded, but being able to seek out people that can fulfill the needs that you're looking for is probably the most important thing. Hmm. Yeah. Another thing I've heard you talk on is like raising your minimums, not your maximums. And I think this is a perfect little segue here. And it's obviously something that you've spent a lot of time thinking about and developing yourself as an athlete. Uh, do you want to explain like what that means to you and then give an example of it maybe from your training? Yeah. So first and foremost, I got this from Sam Smith who got it from like Westside Barbell. So it's been like passed down several times, but I think it's such a great concept and quote to think about what, no matter what level you're at, but especially people who uh, maybe are beginners or people that are struggling or on a verge of a plateau. I think the idea of you know, raising your minimums over your maximums is people get so obsessed with the one rep maxes and they kind of put a value on themselves as an athlete based on how heavy they can lift. And in reality, and especially in CrossFit, you don't get the opportunity to test that one rep max, fresh, feeling good, hardly ever. 
if ever. And what's more important is what are your daily lifts? How efficient is your movement quality? What can you hit day in and day out? Sam Smith calls the the lifts unicorn lifts. Like it's happened, you know, once a year, if you're lucky, that doesn't really matter. What matters is what can you hit when the pressure's on? What can you hit under fatigue and things like that? So to me, raising the minimums is being able to come in and hit 80% every single day, really smooth or 85 or whatever that, that number may be. And the more you kind of focus on hitting those 80 to 90, or maybe even 70 to 80%, the more we can bump those up naturally, those one at maxes are also going to go. But if you're obsessed with always coming in, maxing out or hitting the one at maxes, um, you're just never going to kind of slowly progress. And instead you're going to kind of hit a plateau. And so another thing that he taught me was just never worry about the PRs because they'll, they'll naturally just take care of themselves. And when athletes, I think become more obsessed with the number uh, versus the process, that's when things start to get a little bit convoluted. And then we get into plateaus. Yeah. For example, like, you know, say we have an athlete and they're, you know, they're, they're good days. They're really on, they do great. And it's like, you know, I see in, in their results, they log for the day that it's like, you know, they have these awesome training sessions and then maybe once or twice a week after they've had, you know, two, three hard training days in a row, they drop off. But it's not necessarily because they can't handle the volume. It's like, you know, they're building their shoulders a little tired. They miss a snatch at 70%. And, you know, emotionally, they kind of like fall apart and the session just deteriorates. And it's like, I think that can also be part of this as well, where it's like, okay, we need to not just think about like, okay, what, what can you hit on your best days? It's like, what can we hit on your worst days? And I think actually Kyle Roos said this, but he's like, you know, when you think about like trying to create adaptations, like some days you have like a shovel and some days you have a spoon. And even mm-hmm. if you have a spoon, you're still going to go to work and like put it in. I That's think right. like that also probably applies to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You also look at it too, from like, so Sam got it from what I think is Westside Barbell, the idea. And it's the, and it comes from weightlifting and it makes sense because if you've ever competed in the sport of weightlifting, hardly ever, well, depending on you know where you're at, who your coach is, but usually hardly ever are you maxing out a, on a consistent basis. A lot of times people prescribe or purchase a weightlifting program to realize that a lot of the work is 70 to 80% and a lot of complexes and a lot of positional work. And that, you know, that's maybe not the expectation when you bought the program, you thought we were just going to be maxing out every day. So I think it really shows itself in that weightlifting sports that in order to compete and put up those big numbers on the platform, a lot of their work, a lot of their year revolves around 70 to 80% and being super smooth and improving your movement quality. So if that's how the weightlifting community is doing it and they're judged purely on their one rep max, then I think that's definitely where the CrossFit crew needs to be as well. Yeah. Plus when you have to put as many reps and contractions onto your frame as you do in CrossFit and all the different Mm. modalities, it's like by the time all that adds up, you want to be doing those reps smooth and not taxing yourself more than you have to, especially at certain times of year. Great cool. I want to transition a little bit. Um, again, we were sort of talking DJ, the athlete right there, a little bit of the coach. Um, but you, again, you're, you have all these other hats that you have to juggle constantly. Um, one of the things you were on the conquer athlete podcast, Jason Lydon, I had him on the show as well. And you guys were having a conversation. And one of the things you said is that like, Each day you open up your laptop and on the desktop of your laptop, there's a little sticky note where you basically type in everything that you got to do on that day. 
um, kind of like the times along with that. There's basically like a detailed to-do list is how kind of I took it. My question for you is how do you decide what goes onto that sticky note? Yeah, great question. And thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Um, the, so to me, what, what goes on that sticky note is priorities first. So I just had a really cool conversation. That's why it's still stuck in my head with Dr. John D. Martini, who wrote The Values Factor. And he talks a lot about you know, what you value most and in, in how you can find what you value most based on what your calendar and what your schedule looks like. And so that's kind of what, where I'm getting all this here as, as I'm going through it. But to me, what goes on the sticky note is everything that I need to get done for the day. So my high priorities are obviously I want to, I need to train, I need to coach my classes, I need to coach my clients and any sort of programming that needs to get done. So all that's going to go in first. Uh, so putting the highest value, the highest priorities first, and then everything else that needs to go in kind of slips within the sticky note. Um, and that way I stay super on task. Every minute of every day is dialed in and calculated. And for some, they might think, oh my gosh, you're crazy OCD. Uh, for me, I don't know any other way. I've done, Ever since I got this laptop, that's just what I've I've always done. And I don't know what I would do if I didn't have that. <laughs> and maybe that's a different problem for a different day, but uh, it's just nice to always cross things off. There's something gratifying too, about like literally like with a pen crossing it off or deleting it. Um, so just having that daily to-do list keeps me on track and I never have to wonder like, oh God, what, like, what should I be doing right now? Because even when I uh, need downtime. It's literally in the sticky note downtime. So I'm not wondering like, God, what should I be doing right now? Where should I be going? What should I be cleaning? What, whatever uh, it should be going on right now. So it's helpful to me. I don't know if it works for everybody, but it keeps me in line. Yeah. It's like Jocko, his famous line is like discipline equals freedom. It's sort of that, yeah. like where if you're really structured, it's going to allow you to, to have some space and freedoms to be able to, you know, when you have the downtime to not feel like you should be somewhere else to be like, okay, that's my time for that. If it's time for you to train, it allows you to be like, okay, this is my time to train. It kind of allows you to create a little bit of silos within your own uh, day and your schedule. Also, I just have to imagine that, you know, with your responsibilities at the gym, that there's, you know, going to be people that are coming up to you, you know, let's say you're going to train, right? And you have your time blocked off to train. Again, I I would imagine that there's going to be someone who's trying to come in and like ask you questions about something about, programming for the day, just, you know, there's going to be a question that someone has or something that there's going to be stuff that pops up that could be, again, there's endless things that just could happen. How do you like protect your time? It's like, okay, on my schedule, I have this time in the afternoon to train from this time to this time. How do you make sure that that stays protected and that your work doesn't bleed into that time or that other people are interrupting that time and pulling away from you? How do you protect that time? That's a great question. Um, so ever since starting CrossFit, I've always trained at the same time every single day. It's just worked out that way. I always trained from one o'clock to four o'clock every single day. Um, and during that time also, it works out really well because our gym, our, our classes, um, our class goes from 12 to one. And then the next one's at four 30. So it's a pretty empty time for the gym, which is really nice. Uh, but for me not to get distracted, um, every day when I walk into the gym, the first thing I do is I write my program from Kyle Ruth up on the whiteboard, and then I'll just put my phone either on a charger in a different room. So I don't have to continue to look at the phone. I think that's a really big one where people spend more time at the gym than they need to, because in between sets. They're just like mindlessly scrolling through TikTok or Instagram or whatever it is. So for me, in order to get the most out of my session, I want to make sure that I don't have to have a reason to look at the phone. The only time I'll need is if I need to film something, but my entire workout is on a board in front of me. So I think 
number one, that's really important not to get distracted. Um, two, I have that time blocked off where I just know that this is what I'm doing right now. And if an email comes through or something, you know, a question needs to be asked, I just know that I can come back to that. Or I also don't even know that I get it because it's yeah. not even around me. I think sometimes we are so inundated with our phones and they're all, it's always right next to us. Like we always know where our phone is, but having those times where you can get the phone away and try to get into a flow state and can, and just put all your focus on exactly what you're doing. Um, this is like a huge idea for people because people, some people are listening to this, Ben, they're like, dude, there's no way I could put my phone in the locker and go upstairs and work out. Like, it's like a mind blowing thing. Like, what am I going to do? Try it once. You're going to be so much more focused on what you're doing, your technique, um, the weights. Uh, there's just so much more value that you're going to get out of it. So I would say a big thing that I would say for just advice for people is put the phone in a different room, write your workout up on the board. If you need to film something, then put your phone on airplane mode and go film yourself doing something. Uh, but that's going to probably be the biggest thing when it comes to not being distracted and within your workout. Definitely a habit that more people should be picking up for sure. Totally. Yeah. It's pretty amazing that people think that they, they need to have their phone on them at all times. And it's like, you need to, if that is the case and you're like some CEO of some major corporation or something like you need to put systems in place that allow you to create some separation because otherwise you're like rendering yourself less effective by what you're totally. doing basically. Totally. Yeah. I, I, I recently interviewed a guy named Johan Hari, who's uh, wrote the book called stolen focus. And he, basically took uh, a year of his life to dive into the idea of attention and focus and how it's being stolen from us. Um, it's quite amazing. And he's, he interviewed over 200 specialists under the field of, of attention and detail. And basically what he figured out was that in today's world, a CEO can't go more than 10 minutes without getting interrupted at his job, without 10 minutes, without somebody interrupting him, just solely focusing on one thing. Uh, another thing he talked about was the idea of uh, trading tasks, going from one thing to the next. And when you do that, you actually lose 23 minutes of focus. So if we're talking right now, Ben, and I have a notification come up on an email, I don't even open it, but I see it. He says that it takes 23 minutes for you to get rid of that notification and then come all the way back into complete focus in the conversation you're having. So some of those stats were just mind blowing. And, and we talked at the end of the conversation about, well, what are some things we can do to kind of overcome this? And one of the biggest ones was being able to put your phone away, put it in a different room. Because in reality, what we don't understand is that the people that are running the apps, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat, they are paid on the ability to steal your focus. And the more time you spend on the app, the more the more money that they make. So everything that's involved with the likes and all this stuff, and there's a ton of depth in the book on it, but everything is for a purpose. And they know that all the people working for these companies, they're like, yeah, that's exactly what we're trying to do. So as consumers, if we can, I know I'm getting a little off tangent, but if we're if we're um, more aware of the fact that people are trying to steal our focus, I think the more conscious we can be about where we put our phones and where we ultimately put our time. And if fitness is important to you and you value that, then I think you got to put those distractions to the side. And the first thing to do is put your phone in a different room. That's good. And I, you know, a lot of people, I think too, it's like the times that they're like, well, I have nothing else I, I really need to be doing right now. I'm like in between sets of back squats. I'm supposed to be resting four minutes in between these sets. Well, I got nothing else to do. I might as well scroll. And it's like, 
the the language that I started using around like little gaps like that is like, hey, I have a, I have a gift of time from this time to this time. Like I thought this was going to take me until four o'clock to do this cl- this task. I get done at three forty. I tell myself I have a gift of time. That's like something I started like rehearsing to myself, and that's basically like it's the same thing that you're saying. It's like. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to be as effective as possible with the time that I have and not give that away to another company or to something that I don't want to strategically use. And I think probably this goes back to like you putting in all these tasks as well that you're doing like, hey, this is my my focus for this period of time. It's like these are all things that are going to help me. Yeah, stay punchy and stay effective and not allow my my you know focal lens to get to bleed anywhere else and for me to lose my effectiveness as a result of that. Totally. And I think too, if somebody were to say like, you know, I'm supposed to be resting these four minutes in between, I'd be like, yeah, but like, how about, how about work on your ankle mobility in between? Or how about you send a deep squat? Or how about, I don't know, how about you do something that's fitness related instead of scrolling through your phone? Because at that point, we're talking about this 23 minutes, right? You scroll for one minute. Now you take 23 minutes to get back in. We're kind of wasting our time. I think, I think there's more beneficial ways for you to take advantage of those four minutes. Um, something else I learned too about with this, because I think it's super prevalent is the idea of flow states we talked about. And basically for people that don't know, flow is the time in your life when you know we've all experienced it at one point or another, but it's when kind of time disappears. You're just like in a different world almost. You're not really thinking. If you've competed in CrossFit before, you've probably felt this before where it's like an auto-body experience where you're like, you're just cruising through uh, reps without even feeling anything or thinking about anything, or you don't hear the music. I think we've all been in this sort of deep work before. And he talked about, he's, he interviewed some of the biggest researchers in flow. And this is what as CrossFitters, we're kind of all looking for, whether it's training or even um, uh, on the competition floor. But there's basically three things that I think your listeners would like to hear about how to get into flow state. And one of them was the first one was choose one clear goal. And I don't know about you, Ben, but as a coach, I get a lot of people that come up to me and they say, I want to do this and then this and then muscle ups and I got to snatch this. I, I want to do all these things. And of course, it's great. It's awesome. I'm, I'd rather have you wanting to do a lot of things than not coming to the gym. I think that's great, especially in a sport where that requires you to be well-rounded. But the ability to choose one thing uh, and then being able to eliminate your distractions like we talked about. So today, my one thing I'm focusing on is my is my my workout. I have no other distractions. This is my focus. So that's the first thing is choose one clear goal. The second one was that your goal has to be meaningful to you. And again, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get people coming up to me, they say, hey, I I would like to get a ring muscle up. I say, okay, like how bad or like why? Why? They say, I don't know. I just it'd be cool. Like it'd be, I don't know. I just think it'd be a, a cool idea to be able to get one. There's no meaning there, so they can't really stick to those things. So finding meaning to what you're doing is going to create a little bit more uh, passion and also deep work when the days are a little bit more dry. You're not really feeling it. So the first one, again, choose one clear goal. Second one was the goal has to be meaningful to you. And then the third one, I think this applies so much to fitness is you got to choose something that's just on the edge of your ability. And as program designers, this is what we talk about all the time, right? Like if you're snatching, you know, 205 as a wonder at max, and I ask you to come in and snatch 210, right? We're kind of missing the point here. So instead we have to be able to just be on the edge of our ability because if it's too far, we're going to be like, screw this. I don't want to do it. And if it's too easy, it's going to be something like, man, this isn't really worth my time. This is too easy. I don't want to do it anymore. So 
being able to find something that's just on the edge, you create those three things. That's how we get ultimately into flow. And when we're in flow, that's when you know we can adapt the most. That's when we can train at our highest level. That's when we can break records and do big things. So yeah, I just thought that was really cool. It's something that I think that more people need to understand is how to get into flow state. And that doesn't mean that you're always going to get in it uh, because it is rare. But if you have those three things aligned, I think that's something to think about. Yeah. Flow state is, again, something I think gets talked about more and more, but I think like, you know, the constraints that are necessary for you to get into it are super important. Um, I actually wrote a a blog post probably a year or two ago at this point. It was called focus now flow later. And it's basically, again, tying back into our conversation. It's like, if you want to get into flow, okay, there's these things that you have to do. And one of those prerequisites is also focus as well. So like if you don't have the intention in your if you're in your training, if you're getting distracted by your phone, if you don't have, you know, a real good reason that you're actually doing that and that thing being like right at the edge of what you're currently capable of, you're not going to be able to get into that flow state at all. Totally. So yeah, I think it comes back to all the it always comes back to fundamentals like mm-hmm. hey, you know, are you are you moving with intention? Are you you know, being focused, are you able to actually do the most simple thing, which is just write your workout down so you don't have to be on your phone? Little things like that are going to make all the difference. Yeah. Especially as a coach too. I think you can use those three as a coach and start to cultivate conversations with your clients too. Like if things aren't going well, you know, are we, are we, are we trying to chase too many things? Like let's narrow it down. What is your one main goal? And then the second thing, like, why is that meaningful to you? Because if the goal is not meaningful to you, now we're missing step two. And then obviously step three, as you're, as a program designer, you got to be really freaking good about making sure that it's just on the edge of their ability and you can create confidence and consistency because those are the things that's going to end up making results in the end. That's really good. All right. I got another quote here from you and I think it's too good to pass up. So we're going to run through it. But again, I think as I'm thinking about these hats that you're wearing, you're coach, you're an athlete, you're an entrepreneur. And, you know, for all of those, you are having to be constantly in some sort of a learning process. Like, you know, if we have someone who is any of those things who's listening right now, whether they're a coach, they're an athlete, again, if they're someone who just cares and like wants to further their career, like all those things are going to be requiring you to continually like be learning and progressing in some way. And for you, obviously, like you're spending all this time digesting content to be the best podcast host that you can. So you have are informed when you interview your people, you know, you want to learn about the most about your craft. So you, you can be a good coach. You want to learn about all the things that are required for an excellent performance as an athlete. Um, so you're constantly in this learning process. And here's the quote that you said. And I think it, again, I think it applies to beyond coaching, but I certainly think it applies to coaching as well. You said to me, a coach is aggressively curious. So what does it look like to be aggressively curious? Oh man, that's cool. I'm glad you picked that out. Yeah. So this came back to, uh, with my staff, we do a, a coaching education meeting once a month. And one of the, one of the projects that I had them do was to come up with what are three words or three qualities that come up with being a professional coach. That's something that we're trying to instill within our coaches is being professional. What does that look like? And trying to put that into like very tangible examples. And so for me, my big word, I had three of them, but my big word was curiosity. And to me, being aggressively curious is somebody who is, um, 
it's it's an active state it's proactive you're 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 going out and becoming more i think when you think of a curious person you're not thinking of somebody who is sitting on the couch scrolling through what's new on netflix you're thinking about somebody who is kind of out in the trenches asking a lot of questions and i think the asking questions is not only asking questions of your athletes. I think that's very important. I think it's also asking questions about yourself, uh, asking people for feedback, uh, asking people how you can be a better coach, uh, asking your, your clients, what else can I do for you? What else do you need from me? Um, when I think of somebody who is curious, they're very um, inquisitive. They want to, you know, it's kind of like that, that toddler who always says, why? why, you know, why? And so, you know, when I think of somebody who's aggressively curious, that's, that's what I think of as somebody who's constantly wanting to know more. They're also very curious about their clients, not only in their, in the gym life, but also outside the gym life, because I think you and I would both agree that what you do, the 23 hours outside the gym is much more important than the one hour in the gym. So I want to know, you know, everything that's going on outside the gym, how are you today? What was the best part of your day? besides being at the gym. So to me, being ultimately or aggressively curious is just continuing to ask good questions, ask the right questions, not only for yourself, but also your clients and pretty much everybody around you. And it's an ongoing process. I think you have to go out and do it. I don't think you can just sit at home and be aggressively curious. As a coach, what are some good conversations and questions that you can ask for clients so for example, let's say we have a, a client and they're, you know, let's say that they, they drop in your gym or they're at your gym, they're an in-person client and you can see in between their, their sets of back squats, they're scrolling on their phone. Um, or you just see like something that's out of alignment. You know, you could go up to them and be like, Hey, why are you doing this? Stop doing that which maybe that's an option depending on the person and the personality, but like, is there a way that you could like get them to maybe like look into themselves and like, see like, you know, the reason for what they're doing, is there a way for them, like for you to be able to ask questions that will help them to be able to identify the behaviors that are out of alignment for them is what I'm asking. Yeah. Great question. It's going to be very situational, but I think the biggest thing to remember is to continue to ask questions. Sometimes it's almost annoying how many questions I ask people because they'll ask for advice and I'll always just answer it with a question. I know many times where somebody will hit a clean and the first thing I always say religiously is, how do you, how do you think that went? And because I always want to hear from them because sometimes they'll be like, yeah, I felt good. I just didn't really extend my hips all the way. And I just walk away. Because you just answered it for yourself and they were able to click that creates autonomy. And I think that's just something that uh, is something that's missing in the space is just creating that autonomy for, for clients and athletes. But um, yeah, in this case of somebody being on their phone, it's maybe just asking first, like, how are you? Maybe, be, maybe they're on their phone scrolling because they have nobody to talk to and they're a new person in your gym and they're not really sure they feel a little bit shy and it's an easy outlet to just be like on my phone and scrolling and nobody's going to talk to me. So instead, maybe it's a conversation of how are you? You know, what brings you in today? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, and maybe that can kind of bring a little bit more conversation. And ultimately, maybe that gets them to converse with more people around them. You never really know what's going on in somebody's life. Uh, and we're in the business of fitness coaching, but I think what we're more in the business of is psychology, understanding people, human behavior. And that comes back to having conversations and just continuing to ask a lot of questions. And I think you'd be surprised too at how much you can learn about somebody by asking questions. 
Um, and for some, it's difficult. Like some, it's really hard. Sometimes it's hard for people to come up with questions and, and be that type of person. I think you and I, as coaches and interviewers, it's pretty easy for us. Uh, but for other coaches out there that maybe struggle with that, or they want to lean on giving cues that are very, I don't know if it's attacking is the right word, but instead of cueing somebody to, you know, keep their, or move their knees out the classic one, maybe instead ask them a question. Do you think it'd be better for you to have those knees in, or do you think it'd be better to have the knees out? Oh, I think it'd be better to have the knees out when I'm in the bottom of the squat. Okay, sweet. Let's try that next one. Get them to kind of relate and connect with some of those things um, comes back to being able to ask questions. But there's also a difference too, Ben, between good questions and bad questions. So over time, you're going to get good at asking better questions as interviews, as interviewers like you and I, we pride ourselves on being able to ask the good questions. And you know, when a question comes out, you're like, man, like I could have asked that a little bit better. So as a coach, uh, over time, you're going to practice asking questions and you're also going to practice and get better at asking the good questions, the right questions to get the right answers. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think being able to ask more versus tell more uh, is a little bit more uh, valuable as a coach. Yeah, I've I found myself the deeper I get into my coaching career asking more questions and simple questions, but then not allowing athletes to give generic answers. Mm. Like, you know, how are you feeling today? And they say, Okay. It's like, no, that's not an answer. Like, tell me like what's actually going on. Like I'm not like walking by in the street like, hey, how's it going? Good, man. Like, tell me how you actually are. Like I'm your coach, I need to know. Totally. It's like, t- like, give me some information here, basically. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I think even just having the ability to be able to, you know, read a client. I mean, and, and part of it is just like knowing them well enough where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I've watched you for the last six months mm-hmm. log eight and a half or nine hours a night and the last three nights you're at six and a half hours, which for some clients would be like, awesome. You're at six and a half doing great. Right. And for them, it's like, well, well, this is completely off your norm. Like, like, Hey man, like, how's it going? Like, and then that's, that's when you start to get those real answers too. So I think part of it is too, is like, as you become more experienced as a coach, like, you know, sort of where to peek behind the curtain for the athlete. If once you start to know them a little bit better. Yeah. And then too, just asking questions too, that don't, or that require more than one word. So instead of how are you doing today? You know, that's, it's either going to be good, bad, indifferent, whatever it's going to be. Instead of asking what, what was the best part of your day? Now you're getting them to really experience or talk about something that was an event. Uh, and that can't be just done in one word. So just trying to ask questions that require a little bit more feedback, I think is, is crucial. Huh. I'm going to steal that. Yeah. yeah. So instead of like, <laughs> how was your session today? Like, Hey, like what was your worst part or what was your best part of your session today? Totally. Or how about something like, man, like, what are you most grateful for today? You know, get them to really start to think about, you know, it doesn't even have to be in the gym, but like, what are something that you're really happy about? I think the more times people can relate to what they're grateful for, obviously you're going to bring a smile to their face on, you know, what's going well in my life. That could be a question after a a dismal session. Hey, what are you grateful for today? It could be something that happened. could be something that happened outside the gym. Um, Those are some good questions I think to ask to people to kind of create a conversation that is a little bit more deep. And that's something I enjoy. Not everybody, that's not everybody's cup of tea, but I like to dive a little bit deeper than the surface. Also, I think like you can begin to get, again, the more questions you ask, the more insight you're just going to get into how the person operates and how they're thinking and what their expectations are for themselves mm-hmm. and of you as well. Mm-hmm. And you can like show up better for them as a result. 
So, you know, for example, like if you ask like an athlete, like, Hey, how did you think the last cycle of your training went? Like, are you making, are you happy with your progress? Like, where do you think you like, what would you change about it? Like start digging into some of those questions and you begin to see like, okay, this person is like, they added 10 pounds to their back squat. And one person is like super enthusiastic about that. Another person's like, man, I'm super frustrated. Like I put in all this work, all this time. I was like, dude, it was like eight weeks. But like, like those are, again, some of the questions that you can start to like dig a little bit deeper and start to, again, see where people's, the subjectivity a little bit of their, of their training experience lies. Um, and for like most time, most times when I ask that, it's like, it's usually like, you know, I'm not making progress as quickly as I want to. That's, that's like 95% of the time. Like yeah. that's the case. Like, man, yeah. yeah, the double unders are better, but they're still not there yet. Or totally. yeah, like my muscle up drills are a little bit better, but I still don't have my muscle up yet. Like some of those sorts of answers, like how do you go about helping an athlete develop patience? Man, such a great question. This is something that Sam and I just talked about too, because we talked about uh, the quote is the most overlooked strategy for success is patience. And he talked about how we're in a world, if we talk about the phones and the social media, we're in a world that is filled with everything's quick. You got the whole 30, you got you know seven minute abs and all this stuff. Everything happens really fast. And people just, you know, I, I'm not trying to sound negative here, but people just don't have the patience that people may used to have. And a lot of it is to blame on some of the society, but a lot of it too is just thinking about when is the last time you were extremely patient with something. And for some people, they may be like, I never really was. Like, I, I don't know when the last time I was patient, patient and consistent with something. For some people, for most people, they'll have an experience that they can lean on and look back as like, oh, yeah, like that took. 10 years for me to do. So I think that can be uh, really great for them to connect with an experience that they had in their life. You can also try to create an experience or have them connect to an experience in my life. So I could say something like, you know, I, I snatched 275 pounds now, but I've been snatching for 10 years to get to that point. You've been here six months. So just understand a little bit about how long, give them real tangible numbers about how long this can take. And sometimes, because sometimes people then are just completely unaware. Sometimes somebody will come in and say, Hey, I want to go to the CrossFit games next year. Okay. Here's the thing. Before you get there, these are the things you have to do. This is usually how long it takes. Some people are honestly just have, have no idea. Um, but once people can understand that this is a long-term thing, there's a lot of value that comes into it. But I think it starts with the coach having the conversation of, this is the process. So if somebody wants to get a muscle up, but they don't yet have a strict pull-up, like, hey, here's the conversation. First, we need you to get to five strict pull-ups. Then we can start getting into kipping pull-ups. Then we start getting into chest bars, and then we can start going to the rings. So you see how this is like a five-step process here. And right now we're on step one. So again, just trying to cultivate uh, almost like painting the picture for them so they can see the process. Because I think what a lot of people see is they see people swinging around the rings. They're like, oh, like, I'll just try that. Like I'll just jump in and try that. But there needs to be a process on how you get from point A ultimately to point Z. And as a coach, I think you need to do a good job at explaining that. Um, and patience is hard. Like I totally get it. I've been there before. And I think a lot of people want to think I bet I should be further than where I am right now. It's like, well, like why do you think that? Why do you think you should be further than where you are right now? Well, because I've been working really hard for you know a year. It's like, well, here's the thing. A lot of people that are in this sport or the people that do this for a living in the Olympics. 
you know, you go look at watch the Olympics. Now they've been doing this their entire lives. You know, I was watching skiing last night. Some of these people have been skiing since they're three years old. They're in their twenties. I mean, you're talking about 20 years of skiing every single day. This stuff takes time and that's humbling for people. But when they realize it, I think there's a big connection and then they start to almost get more motivated because they understand that this isn't, this isn't tomorrow. This isn't the next day. This is going to take some time. But then it also goes back to, I bet Ben to the idea of, is this meaningful to you? Do you want to set five years out to do this? Is it, is it, does it matter to you? And, and for some, they'll be like, you know what? It doesn't really. And I'm like, great. Awesome. Because we didn't waste five freaking years trying to go through this, you know? So trying to create conversation, I think it goes back to the questions like we're talking about and all that kind of comes together to create patience. And some people have it and some people don't, but I think the most successful people in sports are the most patient and consistent. I have the the quote from James Clear written here. So I'll read the whole thing. It's um, awesome. So you started it. The most overlooked strategy for success is patience. Patience patience is a competitive advantage. In a surprising number of fields, you can find success if you are simply willing to do the reasonable thing longer than most people. So that was from Atomic Habits. And that was, you know, I think you probably had that quote memorized in part because, you know, I stole that right off your Instagram. Um, you put out what are called, you're calling uh, weekly reminders and they are really good. I, I <laughs> regularly so. read those as well. So yeah, I encourage people to check out your Instagram as well. Um, I said it in the bio. So last question for you, you know, staying on this theme of patience, um, take me through again in maybe practical day to day. What does patience look like for a coach? And then what does patience look like for an athlete? Phenomenal question. Um, so patience to me is patience and consistency kind of go together. So in order to be patient, we also have to be consistent in order to be consistent. We have to be patient with the process and the outcome. And as I'm kind of mulling through this and thinking about it, what I think it looks like to me is not getting too high on the highs and too low on the lows. I think somebody who is patient, a patient athlete is somebody who understands that the process has ups and downs. Not every single day in the gym is going to be great. Um, there's going to be injuries. There's going to be days when the muscle up isn't as smooth, or maybe you, maybe you just didn't get a muscle up today and you're used to getting a couple at a time. So somebody that's patient understands that and they see the long-term approach um, and they have the mindset of leaving some reps in the tank, coming back tomorrow, understanding that they don't have to be perfect every single day. I think there's some interesting correlations between being perfect and being patient. Um, so as an athlete, I think it's having the long-term approach. And as a coach, I think being patient means putting in the time. I th I'm just kind of imagining somebody who has been in the game for a long time, you know, somebody who's coaching, you know, 10, 20, we have a guy at a gym who's been coaching Olympic lifting for 30 years. You think about how many repetitions he's put in, how many clients he's seen, how many cues he's given. Um, I think somebody, a coach that is patient waits their time. Um, you know, they, they're not thinking that they're going to be making, you know, six figures next month when they're just getting started. And instead they're, they're willing to listen to other people, be humble, um, and just kind of wait their time in, in climbing the ladder, whatever that may look like for yourself. So I think all in all, it's somebody that, whether it's an athlete or a coach, it's somebody that sees the long-term vision. Uh, they see the process over the outcome. Uh, it's a day-to-day -day thing uh, where they just become the best 
person, best coach they can be today, rather than thinking about tomorrow or thinking about the next week. Uh, I think some those are some of the things when I hear somebody being patient, but I think also it's one thing to be patient. It's one thing to be consistent, but if you can combine patience and consistency, you got a recipe for success. I love it. DJ, thanks for doing this today, man. Hey man, that was super fun. Time flew by. That was awesome.